And it's a big good morning to everybody out there. You are listening to Paul Burt from Step Outside with Bertie. I'll tell you what, it has been an absolutely interesting week when it comes to the rising to the full moon with fishing. We've had some little bit blustery days there from the southeast, but it certainly has turned out to be quite a nice run into spring at the moment. Now, we are seeing some beautiful catches coming through around the around the country. I'll tell you what, if you're after Taylor and Salmon, yep, they're still on. You saw our show, Step Outside with Paul Burt, catching Taylor off the beach. What an epic show, because it's showcasing something that you can easily do. You don't need a boat. You can just get out there and have a bit of fun on those open stretches, providing you've got some cover in the way of surf and you've got the right outfit so you can get the distance. Now, we did showcase that about casting distance and obtaining the best cast, and this is what it's all about. And I thought I'd do this podcast for you guys so I can run through with you step by step while you're driving your car or riding a bike or whatever you're doing, is that you can actually get out there and have a crack at this whenever time prevails for you. So let's get into the fishing. Now, working around beach gutters, you've got high tide gutters, you've got low tide gutters. If you don't do the right gutter on the right tide, then clearly the fish won't be activated. They won't be in there in numbers. You've, you've got to go there and find the fish for starters. And if they're there, then that helps a lot. But then if there's only one or two, you've got to make sure that you're working the ground a little bit more. Now, what I mean by that is a low tide gutter is one that's only going to be knee deep. Okay, that's where you'll catch your whiting and your flathead. And then your high tide gutter is where the gutter's going to be over your head deep. And that allows the fish to come in looking for those whiting and other particular bait fish and wanting to smash them, wanting to eat them. So what we need to do is work out what the banks look like, what the beaches look like on your next trip down. Good idea, and I'm sure you've all seen it before if you go into the surf, is you'll see a steep embankment from the beach where it's sand, you've got your towel, maybe an umbrella, whatever, and that steep embankment goes down into the water. And it's then it might only be, say, waist deep. So can you imagine, and that's at low tide, can you imagine when the tide comes up, that steep embankment fills, the water fills, another couple of metres will come in, that allows the fish to move into that gutter and then look for food, forage around the base of, the, of that gutter for food. A low tide gutter is when you go down there and you might just get your knee wet to get out to the back bank. Well, clearly you're not gonna get any tailor in that. That's a great place to go down with some squidgy soft plastics and smash some flathead. Yeah, for sure. Or a beach worm for some whiting. But it's that deeper gutter that you need to work on. The other thing is, having cover. Now you could go down there and it could be absolutely dead calm. You think that gutter looks amazing. Well it does, I'm sure. You might get a brim out of it, maybe a flathead as well, maybe at night time you might get a jewfish. But for Taylor, not really. Taylor love cover. They like they love to have that element of surprise. And what I mean by that is the element of surprise so they can attack other prey. So when you have a back bank which means where the waves break out the back, and then that whitewash rolls through, that's where you wanna be. So you will need to get that cover moving so the fish can then follow that whitewash, and then when they see something, these things are on the hunt, remember, when they see some bait fish being pushed around by that turbulent water, they're gonna come out and they're gonna smack it, and they'll smack it pretty hard. So you need to find that area, look for the cover. Now on the other side of the scale is you have too much cover, it's not gonna be really enjoyable fishing. If you've got three or four meter seas rolling in on the beach, and then what happens? You, you, it's just constant whitewash. There's too much cover. So it's gotta have that happy medium. 
Having the cover that just breaks every now and then is not a bad option because you'll see it's all clear and then the sets will come in being the bigger waves. Those bigger waves obviously leave cover as the waves break and the fish will then come in, have a burst around. When it starts to clear, they'll bugger off back out to the back bank again. So that's what you need to look for. Look for the water where it's just breaking intermediately. Look for the water that is generally a nice clean color, not brown and dirty. And then when that green clean color gets that little bit of white murky soup through it from the wave breaking and then it clears up again, that's where you wanna be fishing. And you'll be surprised. Having cover like that, it's going to really turn the fish on. So we've worked that out. Other signs you might wanna look for, birds diving. Birds are a great indicator of where the fish are. Remember, you're on, you're on the lower deck. You're on the sand looking out over the water. The birds, they're 50 feet in the sky and they have pinpoint position with their eyes to see exactly what's happening below. So they are a fantastic indicator for you to go and target your species of fish that you desire to catch. Whether it be tailor in this case or other catches could even be tuna or marlin or dolphin fish or surprisingly, even your brim and flathead. That's right, shallow sand flats in the estuaries, you get birds up high diving into the water, eating the bait fish, and below them on those flats, you will get flathead, you will get brim, you could even get tailor. Now, the gear that I like to use is going to be something that's long, not necessarily short, like a five foot six or a six foot six rod. You need to have the length to get the lure out. Now the lure size, I'm gonna get into that shortly for you, but the lure size is all about the bait fish that are running. But the gear needs to cast that lure. So if you went for a smaller five or a six foot rod and you're casting say a 40 gram lure, it ain't gonna to work too well, particularly if it's a bit of a sloppy rod. But if you're going out there and you're going to cast something that's a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, maybe a 50 gram twisty, Helco twisty lure, great lure. Or the 40 gram Gillies Profile, the Pilly Profile, fantastic. Come in a different variety of colors as well and styles. But you need to have that length of rod that's gonna keep your line above the breaking wave, so to speak. If your rod is too short, your line's gonna be getting smacked around by all the whitewash or just the waves rolling in. So you need to have that length. So for me, I like a 10 foot spin rod. So the Shimano Katana, is a really good rod. The Shimano Katana is a rod that basically allows you to have the length. It's light and supple. You can also have it in a two-piece rod, but it allows you to cast a lot. Bigger 13 foot six rods are so heavy. Fair enough these days with graphite composite, they do make it a little bit lighter for you, but you'll find a heavier rod just becomes a little bit too cumbersome, particularly if you're wanting to walk the beach. Remember, you're not gonna stay in one gutter. This is the beauty of spinning for Taylor, is you're not staying in one gutter, just sitting there and just casting out and casting out and maybe not catching anything. You're looking up and down the beach with your polarized tonic sunglasses on and you're looking up and down and you're going, hey, there's another beach break up there, 100 meters away. I'm gonna head up there and try that if I haven't had any luck here. So it's that sort of thing that you really need to understand is that you are mobile. So having a heavy cumbersome rod is really not enjoyable. So that 10 foot six Katana, Shimano Katana is ideal. It's around a four to six kilo 
uh, braking strain, but being so light, you can always back the drag off your reel and, and uh, the, the rod will act like a big rubber band and, and pull the fish back for you when the fish goes the other way. It also, you can with a tip, I don't endorse this, but you can take the tip down to the first runner, which I do. I just give it a, a light cut, a bit of a sand, put a new tip on. It just gives a little bit more beef on the end uh, for me when I'm spinning. Oh, I ha always have done that. And again, it, it would void warranty. So that's your discretion what you choose to do there. Now the reel that goes on the base of that particular rod for me, I like a rod that's uh, the reel, it's about a, a, say a five or a 6,000 size on that rod would be ideal. Uh, you wanna go about 15 to 20 pound braid, but don't go and buy a braid that's got, you know, it's just cheap because cheap braid is utter crap. It, it's not good. You want a braid that's got thin, diameter. You don't want a braid that's, you know, 20 pound, but it's got a real thick, heavy diameter. It's more like rope. Nah, you need to cut through that water. You also need to cast that lure as far as you can. So having a, a, a braid that's nice, thin diameter, but still has a, an awesome braking strain is perfect. And also becomes multifunctional. You can use it on other different species. So that reel can then be used for catching snapper, jewfish, spinning for larger tuna, not too big, but still fun. And of course your tailor and other different varieties of fish, even trevally, etc. So there's so many different ways that you, know, you can do micro jigging with it, nice light line. But having that awesome braid such as OSHA 8 or X8 is awesome. Uh, you're going to do well. Kariki braid's pretty good as well. So if you're going to do that, now we've spilled up our, our reel, 5,000 5, size is ideal, going on a katana rod. Yep, we're all set there, that's perfect. So now we've got that sorted, we need our leader. Don't go and use any normal monofilament leader because tailor have teeth and they will break you off if they bite over your lure. Fluorocarbon, they will still bite through it, but it, it, you just increase your chances of them not actually gnawing all the way through it. There's two different styles of fluorocarbon leader I like. You've got tough trace and you've got supple trace. Supple is like, how would I, like silk. Okay, it's soft. It's, it's a real pliable, beautiful leader. Tough? Well, it says it all, doesn't it? It's more a bit springy. It's a bit wiry, a little bit more stronger, so to speak, in the sense of the way it's actually made, that it is just, you know, it's highly non-abrasive, great to go over, you know, structure and, and reef and all that sort of stuff there. And it'll fray up, but it'll take a bit to cut through. Supple, it just allows your lure to work so much more nicer. Uh, again, wholly non-abrasive, but that, that's my preference. If I was going out of the two, I would go supple trace and preferably in, you could go the uh, Tiagra or Black Magic. Now, you wanna go probably, a lot of people use the, you know, the FG knot, takes a bit of tying. Once you practice it, you're doing okay. You could use a doubled uni knot. We're talking about tying your leader onto your braid. Uh, you could also turn around and maybe use just uh, like a, an all bright knot and then sort of join it all up or a 40 burnt turn bimini twist. So it gets a little bit complicated here. I like to use a double uni knot. It's easy, I can tie it in the dark. It's, you know, I'm not big noting myself here, but it just, it's just so easy. Just give it a crack and you'll find it will help you out super quick. You get bitten off, you can tie a double uni knot, bang, straight away, or a single uni knot, whatever you wanna do. Single uni knot, you tie your lure on with, and double uni knot, you tie your leader to your fluorocarbon. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? To your braid, sorry. So there's a knot you need to know. Lengthwise, 
You could go the length of your rod. I don't think it's a necessity. You could just go three feet. I think that's more than enough because when you are casting, that knot to me needs to stay out of those runners. Uh, if you're on the beach and you've got a spaghetti rod, okay, we are talking a softer rod here, remember the katana, is if you are, as you cast, that rod is going to have flexibility. So it's going to wave in slow-mo. You'll see it as you cast out, it's just going to wave uh, along the rod. It'll flex a lot there. So what happens is that line could hook around a runner, the knotwood. Therefore, you could end up with getting a bus off or, or something worse. So what I tend to do there is I'll actually just keep about three foot of fluorocarbon leader outside the top runner. That's the length of the, uh, the drop, probably four feet of drop from the lure to the rod tip. Therefore, your runner or your leader and your knot is outside the runner. Now we've got that covered. Let's talk about lures. <laughs> I mentioned before about the Halco Twisty, 50 gram or 55 gram, great lure, heavy. Gonna have to give that a little bit more speed to get it moving, but if you drop down to the 40 gram, yep, you're in heaven. If you're going for, say, the Gillies Pilly Profile, man, that is such a great, great, great lure. I like it. And the simple fact why I like it is because it looks real. You need to emulate the fish that are running. You cannot go out there, in my view, and use something that's the size of a foot and then the fish are only the size of your finger that the, the, uh, the bait fish the fish are eating. So you need to match the hatch. So in that case, if you're going out there with that, say a, a 30 gram Gillies Pilly Profile in silver with the green underbelly, and the fish are only that same size, the size of your finger, then you're in luck. As soon as that hits the water for fish are biting, you're gonna get chewed straight away, which is pretty good. So that allows us to actually match the hatch. Now, if you're going for, say the, uh, the 55 gram Halco Twisty maybe, then clearly with that, you're going to be chasing a larger fish because that's what these fish are eating. You might be going for greenback tail, a tail that around two or three kilograms, and they're eating a fish the same size as that lure. So my tackle box, I've got a variety of lures that will be suitable to the fish that are generally found on the local beaches that I am fishing. Okay, it's something you must do if you can do that. The next time you go out there, you're not going to be undergunned or overgunned with the size of your lures. Casting. Casting is really important. You've got really super important to get the distance, maximize the distance. Now, if you saw the show there, the idea is to have, you could have your right hand on the foregrip or further up the rod blank, and then your left hand over the reel with the line just hanging off your finger. And you're basically punching with your right hand, pushing the rod forward, your left hand, which is on the reel, is swiveling back underneath your arm, close to your body, and therefore the rod becomes a pendulum. And that pendulum is enough to get that lure the distance required. I do suggest that you practice casting before you go out there and just pick it up and have a crack. If you're, if you're used to this stuff, then you know what you're doing. <laughs> Don't even worry about practicing, just get out there and, and have a crack. Setting your drag is important. I do find that I, I fiddle with my drag a bit. Okay, I, I totally admit that. And what, what I mean by that is I tend to have a little bit heavier drag to start with. Now, it all go, it's like making a cake. If you've got the right flour, the right ingredients, the right volume of milk or water or cream or whatever, it's going to come out nice and fluffy. But if you open the oven too short, it's going to sag, right? Or if you keep it in there too long, it's going to burn. So you've got to put everything together to make it work. Absolutely, everything together to make it work. So with the drag a bit heavier to start with, when that fish hits, 
the rod's going to cushion, it's going to bend. But if you've got a light drag set, then the hooks may not penetrate the fish's mouth. So having that heavier drag is like him hitting his head against the wall. Okay, it's just going to go bang, and then he is hooked up straight up. So once you are hooked up, then you can back your drag off. If it's too heavy, the fish is going to come in green. Now, Taylor jump, and when they jump, they're going to shake their head. And they've got then 30 or 50-odd grams of metal weight hanging out the front of their, their uh, mouth. And next to me, their mouth becomes a pendulum like your rod, flicking that lure around and it's going to triple in weight. Therefore, that heavy lure will rip out of the fish's mouth. So having a lighter drag, and also to overcome this, is to keep your rod low. If you keep it up high, as in a show pony of, hey, look at me, I've got my rod up high, I've got a fish on, then that's directing the fish to jump out of the water. Keep your rod down on a low 45 degree angle from you facing the wave, to the left or right, okay? So that way the fish is gonna stick his head down, but when he gets in close, he's still gonna wanna jump. So that's where you've got that lighter drag. Not light drag as in it's just continually spooling out, unless it's a really big fish. But you need to have, just so when the fish wants to pull, he can pull away a bit, okay? When you are landing the fish, super important, is use the wave to your advantage. If the waves come up on the beach and that whitewash is then moving back out, okay, and you're trying to pull the fish in, all of that pressure and drag and energy of that water is going against the fish and that's going to push him up. That's going to force him to the surface and he's going to jump. And again, good chance that he's going to keep that lure or try and flick it out of his mouth. So try and keep your rod tip down. Watch the waves. When the wave breaks and it starts to come into the beach, that's when you want to be pulling him in, keep your rod tip down and pull him in and then walk back slowly if you like as well. And that way when he gets close to the edge, right near your feet or just up from you, flick your rod and pull him up onto the dry sand, race over and pick him up. And there's your fish in your hand and you should be a happy camper. When you do catch your tailor, it's a good idea as well is to have a wader bag with you, the Wilson wader bag or the LV wader bag. It's a shoulder bag that you basically, you can have a little tackle box in there. I use the Plano tackle boxes that have the holes in it. It just allows all the water, that if any water gets in there, it just runs out or if you're changing lures. And when you get home, make sure you wash your lures out so they don't rust. Uh, you want a, that wader bag, when you do catch a tail or bleed it, okay, you can use a knife if you want to. I've got chunky sausage fingers, so I just put my fingers straight in through to the gills. And then I just basically with my index finger, I put my thumb underneath his head and my index finger, I just rip straight through his throat. You want to bleed the fish, super important. Now, if the fish are on the bite, you're not gonna sit there and fuss around. You just wanna get another lure into the water straight away. So having that ability just to break his neck, get the blood out of the fish, put it straight into your wader bag. There are holes in the bottom of those wader bags, therefore it's gonna drain, the blood will drain out, and you just continue to fish. Great idea. Polarized sunglasses, super important in this case as well when you are not bleeding your fish, but when you are casting into the surf because most of the time you're either fishing dawn or later in the afternoon, okay? Dawn, you've got the sun rising in your head. If you're on the west coast, you've got the sun setting in your eyes. So basically you need to cut through that glare. You need to see what the water's doing. Look for any little bust up on the surface. That could be a tailor smashing a bait 
anything like that. So anything that's different to what you're actually looking at, need to take notice of, massively take notice of. If you're sitting there talking to your mate willy-nilly, you're not looking around, you know, you're just sort of not really taking advantage of, of the situation, you may not feel the bite, you may miss that little knock, okay? Uh, but yeah, just take a look around and try and engage in what the, uh, the, the signs of nature is telling you to do around you. Also with your trebles of your lure, uh, another thing is when you generally buy a lure, they'll have VMC hooks on them. Uh, they're a good hook. They're a thin gauge hook. They're sharp like a hook should be. But I like to go a heavier gauged hook. So therefore, I change my hooks on my lures over to owner, O-W-N-E-R. The owner hooks are amazing. They're a great hook. Uh, they're super sharp, super, super sharp. They're prickly sharp. And they've got a nice heavy gauge on them. Therefore, uh, once it's penetrated in the fish's mouth, it's really hard for the fish to actually disgorge that that particular hook. They, although they still will throw it, but it's just a lot easier uh, to stay in there because it's such a sharp and heavy gauge hook, it's not as easy to throw. I think that's pretty much it there, guys. If you're going to cook your tailor, anything like that, um, as long as they've been bled, therefore they're uh, eliminating that strongest taste out of it. That, but you're going to find you can smoke them, you can just, I like to fillet them up. Uh, we just fillet bone and straighten to some flour, straighten to some melted butter in a pan. Nothing much more than that. You could breadcrumb them, deep fry them, shallow fry, whatever you like. Um, steaming the fish, not my cup of tea. I think steaming the fish does allow it to have a little bit more, uh, it just allows that sense of that, um, that heavier tailor smell or taste to get into the flesh. So that's not my cup of tea. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and I hope you enjoyed Step Outside yesterday. We've got another ep being uh, delivered next um, Sunday. And of course, we've got the repeat of this particular show going to air on Saturday and step outside throughout the week or on the 7 Plus app on your phone or mobile social devices. Take it easy, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time when we step outside.